The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be asking the question, are hospitals haunted? Now, of course, you may well say... (laughs) know the answer to that, that yes, especially with, uh, especially with Obamacare and insurance, making it a lot more difficult for doctors and nurses and hospitals to provide the kind of uh, medical treatment that, um, that they once did and should do, should continue to do. But we're talking about a different kind of haunting. Um, we know that hospitals are scary. We would probably all agree about that, from superbugs to surgery suites. But um, some of them may actually be haunted by ghosts and spirits. And my guest today, Richard Estep, would answer that question, are hospitals haunted, with a resounding yes. That's because he's been doing research on this and has written about it in his latest book called The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, True Life Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. Now, Richard is a paramedic and volunteer firefighter by day and a paranormal investigator by night. So he's a para... <laughs> he's a para paras. And um, we're actually talking today from... He's talking today from uh, his fire station. So if you happen to hear some clanging noises at some point during this show... Do not be alarmed. You get it? Alarmed? <laughs> it is just a fire engine um, leaving his firehouse and hopefully not needing him to go with it this time. So, Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol. It's a pleasure to be here. And I, and I should uh, just point out that uh, I am taking a day off. I'm not working at the firehouse today, and, and my views are mine and don't reflect any of the agencies that I work for. Okay. <laughs> All right. We got that out. Um, Richard is also the founder and currently director of the Boulder County Paranormal Research Society. So you have been steeped in paranormal um, since you were, for many years. So tell us how it all began. I mean, that's obviously a very, I mean, you have to be really dedicated to this to be um, researching it for as many years as you have. So tell us how it all began. Well, I think for me it all began uh, in childhood. I'd always loved a good ghost story, and I think most children do. You know, uh, and I often get asked, did I have paranormal experiences growing up? And sadly, much as I'd love to say that I did, I didn't. But I read every book in the local library on the subject, and I found them fascinating. And I soon outgrew the, the kids' section, and I moved on to the more adult, uh, the more scholarly books uh, on the paranormal. 
and just kept reading and reading, and, and my interest grew and grew, uh, and kind of was buttressed by the fact that my grandparents had a haunted house that I would stay in on occasion with them, and I got to hear firsthand the stories of the apparition of the old lady that that haunted that house, and was a very um, very caring spirit would would tend to the children of the family by tucking them into bed at night, and so well, now, you know, well, yeah. Well, now how so? How old were you when you were hearing about? The ghost at your at your grandparents' house. I, I started hearing those stories when I was just five or six years old. And what did you think? I mean, did you believe it? I, I believed it absolutely, and, and it would be tempting to say, "Hey, they were just pulling my leg and telling stories." But having talked to um, the members of the family that experienced this, they were serious as a heart attack. Um, and as I grew older and would stay in the house, I would lie awake at night. I was terrified that I might actually. Um, encounter this old lady, but I was also kind of excited. And uh-huh. I don't know if it's for the best or not that she never made an appearance because it was one of those big World War II, post-World War II families, you know, with a lot of children. Um, it was my stepdad's family. And when, when all of the ch- children moved out, the activity stopped and the house calmed down. Hmm. Hmm. Now, I know that there are some people who believe, um, some paranormal um Investigators who believe that some, at least some of these ghosts or apparitions are there to do helpful things, like you were talking about tucking in the children at night. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you don't really have to look far for those kind of accounts either. I, I documented some in my book. In fact, uh, one good example comes to us from one of the big London hospitals where the resident ghost um, has been known to help the nurses out. And indeed, she's, she's a nurse herself, based upon the description of her. And she has brought um, water to uh, dying patients on the cancer ward at night when they were thirsty in the middle of the night. You know, uh, the, the literature of the paranormal is full of those kind of helpful stories. Hmm. Okay, so go on. In terms of? Of, of your chronology, your much, growing uh, interest. Certainly. So I read everything possible, and I would talk to people, and I think while most boys my age were running around kicking a soccer ball, you know, um, during the summer, the, the long summer nights, I would be indoors with a, with a book that was more suitable for a dark and stormy night, and I was uh-huh. reading about the history of, of paranormal research going back to the Victorian era. And so by the time I, I grew to uh, adulthood, I sought out a local team in my area that investigated those kind of cases and uh, never looked back once I joined them. Hmm. Now, okay, and, and I guess um, what made you then um, start to work as a paramedic? I mean, I guess... It's hard, is it hard to make money as a, as a ghost chaser? I mean, unless you write books like this. But, I mean, what made, did you think you should have a, a more quote-unquote sensible job as well as doing this research? Well, pra- practically nobody makes a living doing paranormal research. I mean, unless, <laughs> unless you're Zach Bagans with a high-profile TV show, and frankly, good luck to them. You know, I, <laughs> I, I certainly uh, don't blame them for doing what they do. But the vast majority of uh, people that do what I do, they do it as a hobby. They're passionate about it, and they do it in their spare time. Uh-huh. So I moved to the United States in 1999 and uh, was working in IT, actually, as an engineer. And I was looking for a way to give some time back to the community. And when 9-11 happened, 
I decided I wanted to volunteer my time in the fire service because I was so mm. impressed with the way that the FDNY responders had, had behaved that day, not just them, but everybody that was part of the emergency system in New York. And, uh-huh. you know, as, as most Americans know, the, the fire service here in the U.S. is, is massively um, staffed by volunteers. Uh, when you get outside the big cities, it's it's enormously volunteer run. So I didn't have to go too far to find a fire department that was looking for volunteer, and I, I'm still there all these years mm-hmm. later. And paramedics, that kind of how did that come about? You don't get to become a firefighter anymore without being some kind of medical ah. responder. So that came that grew out of that, um, and it eventually became my career. I found out that I liked caring for people a lot more than I like caring for computer systems. It was more fulfilling and rewarding. So although not financially as rewarding as working in IT, uh-huh. I can tell you I, um, I feel a lot more fulfilled as a person. Yes. All right. And so, um, so you did, I know you've tried it around the globe um, in your research on Into the Paranormal, um, and I guess it helped that you started in England, right? Yeah. Um, and, um, what, I mean, one of the things that I found fascinating is your description of, um, of hospitals, uh, being such a rich place for studying the paranormal because of births and deaths happening there. So, so tell us about that. And, and also the idea that, I mean, you've written a number of books on, this is, I think, your fourth book on the, uh, nonfiction book on the mm-hmm. paranormal. Correct, yeah. Um, and uh, so tell us how you came to decide to pursue hospitals besides that, uh, you know, as a paramedic, obviously, you keep dropping patients off at them. Well, I think that, it's births and deaths of the bookends of life, aren't they? And there is this whole spectrum in between. Uh, and hospitals see all of it. They see all of the drama of everyday life. You have people being born um, in one department. You have people that are leaving the world um, in, in other departments. And some go quietly, you know. Some go um, not so quietly in the emergency room. But you also have people that are being given terrible news. You have people that are being given great news. You have people with mental um, illness that are, that are battling that. You have the whole stage of, of, of human experience and intense emotion that takes place behind hospital walls. And so it really, as I've studied the, the phenomenon of ghosts and hauntings over the years, where you find intense emotions of any sort, positive or negative, you tend to find accounts of ghosts. And so where better than a hospital which has the entire spectrum uh, taking place on one relatively small patch of land? Um, to to see them, and so you you came to the conclusion that um, I mean not just from because it makes sense from what you just said, but also in your experience in your uh, research and talking to people that in fact that is um, would you say that hospitals per square foot uh, it, that you actually found that that was true that that was the place where there were more. Um, spirits, ghosts, than any place else that you studied? I think that, well, hospital administrators and managers, first of all, 
generally don't like ghost stories to get out. <laughs> and it's, it's entirely understandable because a hospital is supposed to be a place of healing, a place of calmness, you know, tranquility. And so kind of frightening stories are not encouraged. If anything, right. they're suppressed. But if you talk to physicians, if you talk to nurses, if you talk to folks that work in hospitals, it's, uh, and I've done this with people around the world, it's amazing how many of them, once you get them off the record, mm-hmm. you know, have these kind of experiences to report. Um, and sometimes they don't get out until after the hospital has been demolished or has been um, closed down and now is doing something else, has been turned into apartments or something along those lines. But when you do talk to the people that work in those healthcare facilities, um, it's amazing how many of them have stories to tell. Yes. Hmm. Um, did you, did you uh, study any hospitals in New York? Uh, back back east, I did not study uh, anything in New York. And honestly, the title of the book, The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, it's kind of a bold one, really. And it was one that um, I'm, I was a little hesitant about because how do you claim, how do you say that something is the most haunted, you know? Do you go back on the haunting being hundreds of years old? Do you go to a building that is perhaps 50 years old but has hundreds of incidents? How do you tell? Um, and, uh-huh. and so I actually went for a mix. I went for a mixture of places that are still standing and working as hospitals and some that have long been ruined and one or two that have actually been torn down. And then I went for diversity of phenomena. I was looking for um, just a broad range of, of, of fascinating and colorful ghostly tales. Richard, I unfortunately have to stop you here for a break because I heard the the music, the dreaded music. So we're going to have to take a break. My guest is Richard Estep. His new book is called The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, True Life, Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. And we will get back to that in a moment. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're asking the question, are hospitals haunted? And as you have begun to hear, my guest Richard Estep is saying definitely yes. His book is The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, True Life Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. And he, before the break, he was beginning to tell us about how um, he tried to have a cross-section of um, hospitals to, to be able to say that it's the world's most haunted hospitals. So why don't you uh, take us back to that? Well, certainly. And again, it was, it was a very difficult choice because there are so many hospitals in so many countries to choose from, um, at least in the Western world and uh, several in the East that I looked at. Um, but I was just trying to choose them, some of the most interesting and diverse stories. Um, and, and quite frankly, the book could have been twice as long as it actually mm-hmm. is, simply because healthcare providers are now coming forward and patients are coming forward after they've read the book and they're starting to tell me their own stories too. Huh. Hmm. And so did you, when you were picking these hospitals, so you, you had some idea, you had read something that, that there was some kind of a ghost sighting there? And, and like, how did you pick where you went? I mean, besides having diversity, like, did you sure. know that... Well, I kind of followed the legends in some cases, and, and in others, I, I'm very fortunate to have quite a few friends in, um, in the paranormal research community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I asked them, I said, hey, guys, how many cases have you run on which are hospitals, whether old or new? And so they came forward with some of the most um, interesting locations they'd investigated. And uh, I, I interviewed some of the folks that actually put boots on the ground. Because in an ideal world, Carol, you know, we, you talked earlier on about doing this for a living. If I did this for a living, I would have been able to visit each and every one personally, which would have been great. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, having a, having a day job, a career and stuff, I wasn't able to do that. But I was able to visit some. And the ones that I couldn't, I talked to people wherever possible that had spent nights there, that had put boots on the ground. And I wanted to evoke that feeling for the reader of walking those corridors and uh, hallways of the hospitals. You know, what did it feel like to be in there? Uh-huh. Okay, so I guess this would be about the time to start telling some of those stories <laughs> as everybody's on the edge of their chair. Oh, where to start? I mean, one that I, uh, one that I visited personally was a place in Utah, which was a community hospital um, up until... Uh, the beginning of the 21st century, the uh, 2004, I believe it was, it closed down and uh, went into private hands. And so now this old community hospital is a Halloween haunted house attraction. So every Halloween, something like 30,000 people come through this old hospital to get scared. They'll bring their um, you know, significant others and children, although not really young children, because it's kind of an intense experience. It's a full contact haunted house where the actors are able to touch you and you have to sign a waiver. And so they've, they've had uh, lots of, of, of sightings and, and paranormal activity there. And the owners said, you know, don't take our word for it. Why don't you come on out here and see for yourself? So I packed up a couple of my investigators. We, we packed up and drove out from Colorado to Utah. It's a thousand mile round trip. Um, we went out there in the spring of last year. And we had a pretty quiet night, to tell you the truth. Not a great deal happened. And I was disappointed, and the owner said, well, the problem is you're out here in the spring. You know, this place is buzzing around Halloween, so you need to come back out here then. So I said, well, you know, it's a long way to come. How about I move in for a week with my, with my team? And they said, you, you bet, knock yourself out. Come move in for a week. And so I did. 
uh, and I took not just paranormal investigators, but I took um, nurses and I took fellow paramedics as well. Hmm. And, we, and we decided that we would take some of the mannequins that we use to train our paramedic students, our medical students, and we would do some, um, simulate some cardiac arrests in the old emergency room. You know, we would um, do what would have happened when ambulances were still bringing patients into that hospital. Hmm. And we had a very lively and active week that Halloween. Uh, I got the fright of my life when I was walking through a doorway, and the doorways there are all wedged open to prevent them slamming on the customers. And something had removed the wedge that was holding this particular door open and slammed the door full force on me behind my back. Hmm. Uh, and it was a very clear um, indication to me that, uh, that we were not particularly welcome that night. And a lot of the activity in the older wing of this particular hospital is, is very dark and unpleasant, particularly towards females. Uh, I mean, you're a, um, a very qualified mental health professional. You know that there is a certain subset of male personality that um, is very domineering with females, you know. It's mm-hmm. very belittling, it's very aggressive and very controlling. And that's the kind of activity that's reported in the older wing of this hospital. And is there a history of um, some doc- some male doctors or department heads or something who were like that in- back in the day? You know, actually, the emergency room, the, the physician that has been seen in there, uh, his apparition has been seen in the emergency room, was known to be very regimented, very, it's my way or the highway, a man that didn't suffer fools gladly. But they've actually given a, a name to the, the darker, more malevolent entity that haunts the older part of the hospital. They call him the guardian, not because he likes to protect people, quite the opposite, but they say, if you um, believe the psychics and the uh, mediums that have visited this place, they say that he was very much someone who was interested in knowing everybody else's business when he worked at the hospital. Hmm. They won't give away his actual identity, but he was someone that was able to climb the ladder somewhat, working there by you know, knowing everybody's secrets that they didn't hmm. want to get out. And this is the same character that is renowned for scratching and slapping and assaulting female visitors to the hospital. Wow. So when you were saying about how at Halloween they have these, they allow the public to, where I guess they charge, right, for the public oh, to come. Um, and so, but you said, is it actors or is it really the real ghosts? Well, that's the thing. Um, a number of the, um, the the ghosts themselves, the spirits themselves, have played a role without a lot of the customers knowing it in the haunted house. Um, and a good example is that very frequently customers will say to the owners on the way out, they'll say, you know, the, the little girl in the white dress was, was, was super scary. Hmm. And they have to tell them that hey, we don't have a little girl in a white dress. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's known for hiding under beds in the hallways and then reaching out to grab at people's ankles. <laughs> so in other words, it's a combination of the real ghosts who, were, mm-hmm. who haunt the place and they hire actors to make it more entertaining. Absolutely. I mean, the, the actual experience itself is, is purely just a Halloween haunted house, but it tends to bring out... And I think it's mm-hmm. the, energy, the energy of fear of having that many people coming through with the intention of being scared. It mm-hmm. tends to bring out the paranormal activity in the background. And it happens to staff members. It happens to um, visitors and paranormal investigators alike. And it's not all friendly. One of my investigators, for example, she was on her very first case. Um, 
and she received a long series of three scratches running down her back in this location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, when you started, I mean, do you think that you were able to be or are able to be um, were you ever skeptical? I mean, since you started at such a young age mm-hmm. and it was um, connected to your family, I mean, you know, that they believed that there was this ghost in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, have you been able, what do you do to keep your skepticism alive? Well, skepticism is a, is a term that's, I think, grossly underused when it comes to the paranormal field because... I think thanks to the popularity of the X-Files and to Agent Scully, you know, she was skeptical. And, and what that meant in, in uh, the context of that show was that no matter what happened to her, she wouldn't believe it. Uh-huh. Whereas I define skepticism as, show me the evidence, you know. These yeah. are some pretty extraordinary claims. Yeah. Um, and we deal with a lot, of, a lot of people that make the most incredible claims that are very hard to believe. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested in getting into the location myself and seeing if I can find a natural explanation. And a lot of the time we do. A lot of the time we do find a natural explanation. Um, and when I'm talking to a client, this, and this is probably something that you would do in a professional capacity, if somebody tells you that they're starting to see dead people, then what would you do during a consult? You'd look at their medical history. You'd look at their medications. You know, you would look at the various... Um, rational factors, correct? Mm-hmm. You, you would look at the side effects of the medications that they're taking. You'd look and see if they had anything in their medical history that might explain why they're experiencing these bizarre things. Then I, I would take that a step further. I look at the environment. I look for high levels of electromagnetic energy, mm. which are known to cause hallucinations. You know, We look for um, things like the way the wind moves through the structure of a building. So those creaking doors and cold drafts most of the time can be put down to just old building structures. Mm-hmm. You know? So we try and rule out the natural. We try and rule out the everyday first. And it's only mm-hmm. when we've gone through thoroughly that we, uh, that we rule out everything possible. It's only then that we will approach a paranormal explanation for what somebody experienced. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Tell us about um, some of the psychiatric institutions that you visited or that you write about? Well, a lot of the most interesting stuff, and it's also very sad um, and very tragic to read about, uh, if you look at the early days of the psychiatric profession and mental health care in the Western world, um, they were using some techniques that might best be described today as barbaric. For example, frontal um, lobotomies in which they would hammer the equivalent of an ice pick into the brain through the eye socket you know, lobotomizing mm-hmm. people. This was done on a massive scale um, until finally pharmacology reached a point where uh, that particular technique was, was kind of outlawed. It fell into disuse. Um, but I looked at a mental health institution in Australia, and I'm trying to phrase this very carefully, but a lot of the people, when you look through the records, a lot of the people in those facilities weren't there because they necessarily had mental health issues. Some were, but it was an easy and convenient way to get somebody off the streets. And in fact, it was used um, as a way to get a quick divorce by certain unscrupulous individuals. They would have their spouse committed and thrown behind bars, and often they would never get out. Mm-hmm. And it's very telling that if you look at the legal and medical process in order to get committed to one of those institutions around the turn of the century, you needed three times as many um, 
legal and mental health professionals to sign for you to get out as you did for you to get in. Mm. So it was much easier for you to end up behind bars, if you will, in one of those asylums than it was for you ever to get out again once you were there. And so conditions Uh were miserable, despite the best efforts of of most of the staff. Um, This was a science that was in its infancy. Um, And so you had overcrowding, you had poor conditions, you had a lot of violence between um, patients and between staff and patients on occasion. And sadly, of course, a lot of endemic abuse. And that all adds up to this big wave of negative emotion when you go behind the walls of a place like that. Which then attracts or causes there to be more apparitions. Well, that's, that's one of the theories. And again, there are a lot of theories. So I should tell you, Carol, and I should tell your listeners too, that there are no true experts in this field. Huh. Run a mile from anyone who tells you they're an expert. Um, huh. There are only people that have spent time researching it, that have tested their observations as best as possible, and that have been gathering data. So, so as I tell you this stuff, again, you're, you're getting a whole bunch of my bias. You're getting a whole bunch of my opinion. But the truth is there are, there are no real textbooks as such on the field of, of paranormal investigation. There are very few actual PhDs in parapsychology anymore because most of those programs uh, have been shut down. Why is that? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. And one is that in academia, um, telling people that you're investigating ghosts or UFOs or anything along those lines uh, is a great way to, to kill your career. Hmm. It subjects the, uh, the person in question to a great deal of ridicule. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second reason is that while there was some um, government funding of, of those facilities back in the 70s and 80s, the money for that mostly dried up and has gone to other locations. So this is one of those areas of, of pseudoscience where most of the research is being done by people in the street, people that have day jobs, and they do this because they're interested in it and passionate about it. Hmm. It's, not, it's not being done in labs um, by academics anymore mm-hmm. to any great degree. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, well, okay, what are some of the stories of, um, I mean, I know that there are, you, you have some stories of people who, uh, who had mental illness and were stuck or st- sticking around um, at the institutions that they had been locked up in. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, and one good example is uh, a patient who was known very well to have um, Alzheimer's. Uh, and uh, Alzheimer's is, of course, a particularly cruel disease, uh, and there are millions of people who are living with its benef- uh, benefits. I'm sorry, uh, who are living with its consequences, with its um, costs to this day. You know, one moment the patient can be absolutely normal, the next they're somebody else, and they can turn violent, they can turn cruel, and it's all part of this disease process. And the patient in this particular room, who was known to have had Alzheimer's. Um, the staff at this particular facility believed he'd never left. And so sometimes the activity in the room was playful and it was welcoming. In fact, one of the um, great initiation ceremonies they would do is they would have a a new person or a visitor stand in the doorway to this room. And some people would feel themselves being pulled gently into the room as if someone were tugging at their shirt, you know, saying, come in, come in, hang out, kind of. And then on other days, you would see people that were pushed outwards a little bit more forcefully. Um, and now, so when you say initiation, mm-hmm. initiation into what? 
Well, what, I don't mean that in any sinister way, but whenever no. you would, it, it became kind of a, I don't want to call it a game, but it became kind of a, a fun thing to do for new people at, the, uh, at this location, that they would be invited to stand in the doorway and see if the resident goes like them or not. I see, I see, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah um, and I, I should say that I stood in that doorway and didn't feel anything. I wasn't pushed or pulled. Huh. Um, but this, this particular facility featured on the TV show Ghost Adventures, uh, and the lead investigator on that show, uh, based on what based on what we saw on the episode at least, was slammed pretty forcefully into the wall uh, when he was being antagonistic in this particular room. So you can you can see the behavior is uh, on one day it's very friendly, it's very warm, it's very welcoming in this room, and then on another day, you are seeing people thrown around and slammed around as though they got on somebody's bad side. Hmm. Now, I know you also um, write about this story of a nurse um, who happened to have the misfortune of having her fiancé be admitted to her unit, her ward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the ethical rules of medicine, really, that you, you should not be put in charge of someone who um, is related to you because we, it's difficult to, to make good, unbiased clinical judgments in those cases. So this poor lady in in one of the older London hospitals, she found herself, so the story goes, with her fiancé in her care. And he was, um, it was necessary for him to be given morphine for pain. And of course, morphine is a a wonderful drug when used correctly, when given in the correct dose for the correct circumstances. It's great at pain relief. Um, Unfortunately, she gave him an unintentional overdose. And when that happens, morphine, one of the ways in which it can kill you is it can stop your breathing, mm-hmm. which is what happened to her fiancé. Now, if that happened today, we have medications actually that reversed that, that drug. Uh, we have a drug called Narcan, which can counteract the effects of the morphine. But it wasn't something that was available back then. And so uh, this poor lady gave her fiancé a fatal overdose of morphine and killed him. And she never got over it. And so she's one of the nurses that appears um, after her death, her apparition is said to appear whenever pain medications are being given on that ward. And it's, it's seen as very much a cautionary tale. It's almost as if she's saying to the modern day nurse, you be very careful with how much of that drug you give or how quickly you give it because it can do great harm. Now, you know, that makes me wonder, I mean, if, like, just to um, just to play devil's advocate, so to speak, um, you know, you could certainly the people, the nurses who work in that hospital, would have heard that story of this uh, this legend about this nurse, and maybe they, you know, it would be normal for them to think of her mm-hmm. when they'd be giving somebody morphine. Um, you know what I mean? That maybe they conjure up this vision of um, or a feeling that the nurse is there. How do you I think that's determine? an entirely an entirely rational explanation. And and it's important to remember too that uh, I essentially write two kinds of books and and one one manner I have of writing is investigative where I will go in I'll investigate a case a location a haunting and I will make every attempt possible to rationalize it away to, you know to find a an everyday non-paranormal explanation. 
Mm-hmm. That's what I do as an investigator. And in the other types of books that I write, nonfiction books, I collect the folklore. I interview the witnesses. I give my spin on it, of course. You know, here's my take. But um, I like to collect some of the more colorful legends. So what you're saying, Carol, is entirely possible. Maybe this is a tale that has grown in the telling over the years. Because a lot of the older hospitals, and we're looking at some of the London hospitals now that are hundreds of years old, you know, they do come with their own little cultures and subcultures, and they do come with their own folklore. And certainly, yeah, it's wise to take that with a grain of salt. Well, Chris, it's a lot more fun <laughs> to believe that she comes back as an apparition. Did you, um, did you ever study the Maudsley Hospital in London? I did not. Because I did research there for um, several months and uh, into schizophrenia, families of schizophrenics. And oh. that was an, and that seems like it would be an interesting place to study. You know, it's kind of an old hospital, and uh, it seems like there would be there would be stories like this. Oh, I'll bet. Um, you, you, you could write a book. In fact, you could live an entire career as a paranormal investigator and never leave London because mm-hmm. it is it is. I think pound for pound, it is the most haunted city in the world based upon its history and and its rich folklore. Yeah, that's. I I, I was reading that um, in one of the excerpts from your book. I thought that was very interesting. I mean, I guess, um, uh, <laughs> and probably that has not changed. I mean, what? what oh, we're going to be having to take a break in a minute. Uh, when we come back, one of the things I want to talk about is I know you've been doing. You mentioned television a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been on some television shows, right? Talking about some of these cases. Yeah, they they haven't aired yet, but I just shot the first season of a new TV show. Oh, okay. Well, can you uh, share with us some of the some of the uh, stories or some of uh, what it was like for you to? Yeah, happy to do that. Would you? Are we doing that now or after the break? Well, I think we'll do it after the break, but that's probably going to come in a in a minute. Um, let me just say, I was mentioning the Maudsley. I also uh, trained at NYU Bellevue. That's why I was asking if you did any hospitals in New York. Uh, The number of ghosts that must be in there, (laughs) the number must be staggering. Well, now we do hear the music, so we do need to take a break. Um, My guest is Richard Estep. His book is The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, True Life Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. So stay tuned. We'll be back with more Our Hospitals Haunted. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're asking the question today, are hospitals haunted? And the answer is coming from Richard Estep, who is a... That was so fascinating what you said about um, changing from being IT to being a volunteer firefighter, firefighter and therefore uh, having to also be a paramedic after 9-11. I mean, my, you know, I, I do, um, I'm an expert on terrorism. I've written a book on terrorism and so on. And I have, um, I say to this, I, I try to get people to understand how 9-11 has changed so many lives. So many, so many people in the United States want to deny its impact or to think that happened then and we're not still being affected in any way. But your story is, is one great example of that. And there are so many other stories of how, uh, besides, of course, families of the people who were killed, but um, of how that day changed people's lives. Uh, so I, that was a wonderful, a wonderful thing that you did, a very admirable thing to then become a firefighter and a paramedic. Um, Richard, that's his, that's his day, those are his day jobs, and um, his, his night job is a paranormal investigator that he started since he was essentially five years old, um, and his latest book is The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, True Life Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. So... Um, what let's hear about the television shows that or show that you've been uh, that you uh, guested on that hasn't aired yet. You can tell when is it going to air? So it's due to air this summer. Uh, the show uh-huh. is currently called Paranormal Investigator, uh-huh. and it should be on the Destination American Network. Uh, and essentially, uh, I was approached by the network to to look at some of my cases. They picked four of the cases that I'd written about that I documented, and said, "Hey, so." We would like you to come out to Canada, which is where the show is shot, um, and we'd like you to talk us through some of the cases, and then they're going to film, uh, or they have been filming, uh, reenactments of, of some of those instances. Hmm. That, so, that should be really interesting, yes. I do hope so. I'm looking forward to seeing um, how it all plays out once it's been uh, dramatized and so forth. Uh-huh. So um, can you... Can you tell us what the experience was like and, and maybe one or two of the cases? Yes, yeah, certainly. It was, it was a very surreal experience, um, but it was great fun. We shot it in an old abandoned schoolhouse, which um, supposedly was haunted because what they'd done is invited various paranormal investigators and psychic mediums and people from the paranormal community to be on the show to, to record their own segments. So I did four of the episodes, four segments, and I was the last to film. That was just the way the order broke down. So we'd had a whole bunch of psychic mediums wandering around this old, abandoned, very creepy, I've got to say, school in the middle of November. I'm sorry, December it was. Um, And it was freezing cold in there. There was no heating. I mean, it was really, really cold. And they'd been into each of the rooms and they'd written messages. You know, one had written on the the chalkboard, there is the ghost of a little girl that haunts this school. Uh, I kept my eyes out and didn't see anything, of course. But the cases they covered were some of my favorites. And one uh, was a, an Italian restaurant out here in Colorado, um, which is just like the school, supposedly haunted by the ghost of a little girl. Uh, it's called Holmstrom. Now, are these all different little girls? <laughs> or 
or we is that like a them. typical kind of uh, is, ghost? You know, it is fairly typical. And, and one thing I would say about that is it's something you see in a lot of movies. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like, I think there's something really scary about a ghostly little girl with pigtails and a long, you know, flowing dress. It's become almost a stereotype of the paranormal yeah. field. Um, but but we, were, we were down in the basement, and we had this whole building locked up tight. And sure enough, we recorded the sound of what, what we're convinced is a child's footsteps running across the, the floor above us. Hmm. which would have been the, the ground floor of the restaurant. And they had had pots and pans thrown around. They'd seen apparitions in this location, all kinds of stuff like that. So I was able to talk about that, and they brought the restaurant's owner out to, to be interviewed about, uh, about the haunting. Now, it's interesting. I wonder if, I mean, when um, a hospital, you were mentioning before, the, the administrators aren't too thrilled when you come calling because they don't want the hospital, if it's still working, you know, um, they don't want people to not come there because they think they want something more healing rather than being scared because it's haunted. But um, did this restaurant owner, for example, think that it would bring more people to his restaurant if he was on television and, and the restaurant was shown to be haunted? Well, I think as a paranormal investigator, I'm always wary whenever somebody has something to gain from the building being haunted. I mean, one good example of that is hotels. Mm-hmm. Uh, not going to name any specific ones, but there's one in Colorado that's quite famous and that has done very nicely out of its ghost stories um, and its connection with a certain horror writer. Uh, so, you know, you always have to be very careful. And, and certainly it makes me wary when it's a business. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I took everything with a grain of salt, as I always do. Um, but I talked to the owners, and when I investigated it, it was several years ago with my team. So there was no TV show then. They just uh-huh. said, hey, we, we, we have this activity going on. It's spooking out some of the staff. Can you come take a look? Mm. Um, and so I go in, and I say, I'll, I'll take an objective look. We'll do an investigation for you. But you have to be aware that if we find nothing, that's exactly what we're going to tell the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we went in, they made these claims, and unfortunately, there was nothing that we found out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I think that's really all anybody can ask for is an objective assessment of, of the phenomena that are going on. Now, when you do some of these things, and like, like that restaurant, for example, from, from years ago before the television show, and it was more credible, I mean, more authentic, mm-hmm. um, do you then do some kind of like group therapy or something? saying um, that, yes, you found a little girl or you found whatever you found and you, and you try to calm the staff down, for example, by explaining that these are not, um, they're not going to hurt you? or what, Do you ever do anything like that? Well, I, there is a degree of, it's kind of like being a bit of a social worker when you do this job sometimes. And we always prioritize cases in which it's a private residence, it's somebody's home, because nobody should be afraid in their own home for any reason. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and we we will run cases like that to the top of our priority list, particularly if there are children involved. If the children are frightened to go to sleep at night, because uh, as you will be fully aware of with your profession, that can be very traumatic for a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we like to educate. And the truth is that the vast majority of the time, this kind of activity is not harmful. It's not something to be afraid of. But we all have this ingrained fear of the unknown, which Hollywood has helped to fuel. Yeah. You know, with the constant diet of, of, of scary movies. And there are very few uh, ghostly movies with nice ghosts in them, are there? Mm. 
they're usually mm. all malevolent and creepy and scary and stuff like that. And uh-huh. yet a lot, a lot of the activity that we're called to investigate when it does turn out to be genuine isn't necessarily sinister at all. It's, it's something or someone attempting to attract attention. And so we've counseled more than a few people on, on how best to coexist with this kind of activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that doesn't work, then we're more than happy to, depending upon what the person's uh, religious beliefs are, if they have any, we're more than happy to have um, somebody come in and of their appropriate faith and conduct either a blessing, some kind of ceremony that will help whatever it is move on. Uh-huh. Hmm. What about, you know, since going back to um, what you were saying about how um, ghosts gather, in, especially in places that have high drama, high emotion, like, of course, the hospitals, birth and death, um, and, you know, sadness and uh, all of the different emotions that happen there. What about um, the fact that the world, in general... Um, has become more high drama, um, you know, that the world is essentially erupting in all of this madness. Um, do you think that this, in a general sense, is bringing more apparitions um, to, well, to come forward or, or just making people stay more in that kind of a state? Well, for, firstly, I, I'd, I'd question whether the world is actually more volatile today as opposed to the fact that we're just more aware of it. I mean, any student of history looking back is well aware that the world has always been an incredibly volatile place. Um, And yet we haven't always had the 24-hour news cycle. You know, now if a bomb goes off in London, I hear about it in Colorado two minutes later. Uh, news travels more quickly, and I think we're bombarded with it through the through the media outlets more more uh, more frequently. Also, so I do kind of question whether the world is actually getting significantly worse than it was before. Well, I mean, I agree, of course, that um, something happens and we know about it in a minute. Um, from the internet or from television or radio or anything, I agree with that. But I also do, and, I, and yes, of course, there were the Crusades and there were all these wars um, going back through time. But, well, okay, I, I do think that the world is more volatile and mad than, than um, mad in the English sense, crazy, mm-hmm. than, um, than it was. But... Um, but even if, aside from events happening in the world um, that might be more making it more volatile, certainly do you, don't you see around you, just in your, I mean, I know you were saying Colorado is a very um, lovely place, and I've been there, and it is beautiful, so maybe you don't feel this as much, but certainly in Los Angeles, I can tell you that um, people are, are much more riled up, are much more anxious, much more angry, much more, um, you know, between terrorism and the, and the economy mm-hmm. uh, and lots of other things. People are, are just um, more sort of on, the ed- on edge than before. And um, so that's, I mean, do you see that in your, just looking in your, just around you, in, in people around you, do you not see that there's, or is that not so in, in the people who are around you? Well, I, I think that may, that may be the case. I don't know. It's, 
how do you measure that objectively as opposed to subjectively, you know? I mean, the population is bigger than it's ever been, for example. Um, I'd, have to, I'd have to look at look at the data. And to tell you the truth, I haven't. So I can't say. Uh, and I don't okay, really... so then my question of whether there are more more ghosts now or there's an increasing, mm-hmm. a growing number of ghosts because of the possibility that the world is more volatile, um, I mean, that was the bottom line question, so yeah. I guess... Well, let's, let's spin off that with, with something else that I do that yeah. is related. Um, one thing that's undeniable is this. We carry more cameras and we are, we are photographed more yes. here in the West than at any other point in human history. Yes. You know, we all have one in our pocket. We all have, um, we all have a cell phone, or at least practically everybody has a cell phone. We go into the high street or main street USA, and we're on camera every time we pass a shop mm-hmm. front. You know, so one thing that fascinates me is where, is the, uh, where are all of the, where's the tidal wave of convincing ghost photographs? Hmm. You know, um, and one thing that, that I've talked about a lot with my fellow paranormal investigators is the fact that we take photographs differently now than we ever did before. Digital photography is a different uh, medium. It's a different mechanism than the the old days of film. And a lot of the really impressive ghost photographs were taken on film. Mm. So that's, that's, Mm. we're still not not sure how ghosts are seen when people see ghosts. Um, There are many, many instances, for example, of there being, let's say, a tour group. They're going around an old historic building, let's say a castle in Scotland, just pulling that out of thin air. Okay. And you have 20 people in that group on a tour, and five of them see the same um, figure that is in period clothing, walks across the room, and then disappears. Fifteen people don't. Now, Uh bear in mind that some people are just naturally more observant than others, but um, what was it about the people that saw that apparition? And what was it that made them different from the people that didn't? That's a fascinating subject. Yes, and are there studies of that? So it's it's something that the field is is kind of grappling with right now. And we don't have a definitive answer yet, for sure. We're not even sure if, when we say we saw a ghost, if we actually saw it with our eyes, which is Hmm. not as um, far-fetched as as you may think. Hmm. You know, hallucinations can occur with any of the five senses, it's, possi- it's possible to hallucinate touch, taste, sound. Um, uh-huh, sight. Uh, I'm hearing music. Are we on a break? Yes, or? yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're not hallucinating it because that means that we have to, that it's the end of the show. Oh, and no. I want to make sure that I give out um, your, the book's name again. My guest again is Richard Estep, who I'd like to thank for being a great guest. So fascinating. Uh, his latest book is The World's Most Haunted Hospitals. True Life Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. And do you want to give out a website? Uh, yeah, my website is richardestep.net. And uh, I love, love to okay. talk to readers there. Yes, and that's richardestep, E-S-T-E-P, dot net. Well, thank you so much, Richard. That was really fascinating. And um, obviously there are so many more ghost stories in this book and in your other previous books, so I would recommend that people... Uh, Go to his website, um, richardsdep.net, and also, of course, you can find the books on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, right? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.